Hello, Happy New Year and welcome to The View from the Lane, our Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. My name's Jack Pitbrook, I'm joined again today by Charlie Eccleshare and James Moore at the end of uh, Tottenham's Christmas period, which can probably be best described as mixed. After losing to Chelsea, they scraped past Brighton, drew at Norwich, lost at Southampton and drew at Middlesbrough. Uh, they haven't really played at all well. They've lost Harry Kane to a hamstring injury. Hugo Lloris is still out. Tanky and Dombele's injured again. Christian Eriksen looks like he might be on its way. It's becoming quite hard to find things to be optimistic about at Tottenham right now. Is I that mean, fair, James? I think you've been quite generous when you describe that as mixed, because most of that sounds pretty terrible to me, to be honest. Charlie, what did you? Th- was, I mean, was yesterday as bad as it got? No, Southampton was worse, definitely. Um, but yesterday was was pretty bad. I mean, when you name a really strong team like that. You know, you you're doing it because you want to send out a message, and also you want to avoid a replay. And they didn't do either of those things, and they didn't give any minutes to some of the younger players, which you know can be a benefit of the FA Cup. So it was pretty disappointing, all in all. Yeah. What um, for those that didn't see the game or, or couldn't get up there, what what went wrong? They were a bit better in the first half after they kind of Middlesbrough came out at them and it looked pretty shaky for the first 10 minutes and then they got a foothold and had a bit more spark about them than they have in previous weeks but they didn't get the breakthrough goal and you did sense it was going to be one of those games where if they had scored first I think they would have won it reasonably comfortably but they didn't um, a bit slack defensively again you know they haven't kept a clean sheet away in the league for over a year um, and conceded a pretty soft goal left themselves with quite a lot to do They thankfully they got the equaliser back pretty quickly but again it was a case of they only really started playing properly once they went behind we've seen that again and again over this Christmas period did get the equaliser and then pushed for the winner but you know I thought Middlesbrough was still was still well in it um, and played well so just again lacking that spark and still still shaky defensively I mean it's it's been whenever Spurs have played badly over, over the last couple of years the main thing I think I've noticed is that they've been moving the ball so slowly yeah. and that was really evident in the first half yesterday they, they were moving the ball around so ponderously it didn't look like there was really any urgency at any point it was only when uh, Lamello and uh, Lachelso came on at half time uh, sorry after the goal yeah yeah uh, that suddenly there was a bit more dynamism, dynamism in the way they played, but I, it just, you know, they're really lacking that focal point, obviously that, that Harry Kane provides, and it just, it just felt like ha- having found the way of playing without him last season that they'd almost kind of put that to the back of their minds and kind of forgotten it that that they did well without Harry Kane in that run in the early last year. I think they were probably had a better points per game average in that part of the season than they did after when he came back. Do you think that there's any kind of solution in sight for these issues of creativity that Tottenham are having right now? It's hard because there's there is such an imbalance, and like yesterday, they did look better uh, with those second half changes, but in a way that it was just like they need to go for it. So that you know, handbrake was off, and they just you know, lots of attacking players. They need you know a proper defensive midfielder to give whoever's playing in that more creative role a bit more license. Obviously, Dyer really is the only option, and he. He's been okay, but he's also had issues with uh, with fitness again. Um, so it, it, that is the problem area. That is something that they really need to address, have a bit bit of a better balance, and whether that means going out and signing someone, but they've got a lot of creative midfielders. That's probably the part of the squad where you feel like they're almost the most overstocked. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll talk about Ericsson as well, and it looks like he may be off, but you've got Ericsson, Ali, Lacelso, Lamella... Lucas and Son maybe you'd, you'd put in that group as well it shouldn't really be where they're struggling but it just seems to be that creating good chances has been a problem for the, for the whole season really completely yeah yeah and I think that is just giving them the platform 
to do that you know and, and, and if you don't have a reliable defence midfielder giving you that platform it becomes a lot harder but it's like what we said about that Winks and Sissoko partnership before Christmas that they're two they're two good players but when they play together they both just it feels like they both are kind of holding something back because they're so concerned that the other one isn't a natural defensive yeah. player that, that they don't want to kind of take risks with passes or with runs with the ball or whatever else and I think that kind of, that, as, as Charlie says, that kind of fe- feels like that's kind of filtering up the team to everybody else now. Yeah. I think that, I think, like, I don't disagree, but I think that is quite a, like, that analysis is quite generous to Mourinho. Yes, that if, you, if you If you say hypothetically, well, well, if we could go and get a really good holding midfielder, and then by, by signing him and playing him, then all the other players who had previously been, like, conflicted about their roles would therefore feel comfortable at their roles and would go and create chances. Now, that kind of presupposes that Mourinho is interested and geared towards getting his good players to play the right way, whereas I think, mm. in reality, like, another way of looking at it, and maybe this is unfair on Jose, is to say, Jose just doesn't trust his players to play that kind of football, and even if they did have the right kind of holding midfielder in there, I'm not sure it would work. I don't know, I just have a, quite a bad quite a bad feeling about this at the moment. And what about the defence? Like, it seems to me like the defence is no better really than it was when he took over like six weeks ago yeah it's funny isn't it he went he went to this back three on uh, on Sunday and you know the idea being that they can kind of cover each other and it will it will kind of paper over the cracks almost and then the goal they conceded basically exposed the lack of pace of all three of them yeah. Adaya played uh, Ashley Fletcher on side and then none of he Vertonghen or Alderweireld could get back in time to even put, kind of put him under any kind of pressure before he slotted the ball past Kazaniga and it was similar at Southampton when there's a long ball over and it completely cuts out Vertonghen and Alderweireld. Yeah. Um, also, there was a moment yesterday, I think it was Alderweireld and Dyer both went to close down Fletcher and they the ball was there to be won, but they looked so terrified to step in because they knew if they did and he went past them, they were completely done. And and you know, you know, you look, they've kept one clean sheet under Mourinho in, what, 12 games? And, and it's really interesting because he said um, a few weeks ago, he was like, look, I can organise a defence, you know, that's not a problem it's just then would we lose something going forward but you really question that because you know this defense i don't know like surely he would if there were clean sheets that he thought he could get he would be organizing them in a better way but that they don't seem to have that organization they just, it doesn't look like a Mourinho defense and also for good teams nowadays it's not like it's not the it's not a zero sum game it's not like you can either be good at defense mm. or attack but by like for the best teams like City or Liverpool, you you know you become good at defence through the quality of your attack. Like you defend as well, you defend as well as you attack is but is like mm. the kind of credo of a lots of the, these managers. Like that's the re- I mean when, when Klopp you overwhelm teams. Yeah, yeah, like when Klopp and Guardiola both showed up into English football, both of them were hit by like kind of moronic criticism saying oh, can't organise a defence doesn't care about defence enough like no that's not that, like that's not how it works the issue was that their plan A they couldn't execute it properly they didn't have the right players the right they hadn't worked with their squad long enough to teach them how to do it but as soon as they did that and as soon as they had the right parts then their their plan A created football which in, in both of those instances was so good that the team just didn't not only battered every opposition but also didn't concede any goals mm. and the like the good defence was a byproduct of the system working perfectly now that is very different from like the implication of what you just said Jose said which is well I can choose between attack or, or defence but of course I can't do both at the same time whereas of course nowadays like good teams do do both at the same time completely yeah I mean I, I, mean, I think the, the, a big problem is pos- keeping possession of the ball as well and Spurs have been probably in the Premier League in the last kind of three or four years they probably had 
I mean, they've probably been in the top two or three sides in terms of the percentage of possession they've had. And it, it kind of stands to reason that the maths are pretty simple. If you have more of the ball, you're less likely to concede goals purely because the opposition are going to have far fewer opportunities to, to hurt you. Yeah. And just giving the ball away so much so sloppily now, it's just, and, that, and that, this isn't a Mourinho-specific thing, that's been something that's been happening for the last 12 months. But it's, there are just so many little things that have just started to go wrong and have kind of just been... Are almost left to fester because yeah. you know, like the Champions League runs, say, kind of papered over the cracks or whatever else. And now it feels like a lot of these things have come home to roost, and suddenly it, it, the whole squad, the whole side, just looks like a total mess. And it, it you, yeah, it does feel like that the the lack of keeping possession. Like you watch a team like Liverpool, and they do just overwhelm you, kind of waves and waves after attack, uh, wave after wave, and it, you don't really get that sense. It's very rare a team looks really, really under pressure. Completely, Charlie. You wrote about Harry Winks. Um, what did you think about his performance? I yeah, I thought he was okay. I just you know what I was saying. The piece was it. It feels with him at the moment and with Tottenham a little bit like it's kind of drifting along, and that you know there's might be a bit of progress here, but then there's a you know a bit of regression there, and you know so he. I thought in the first half he was okay. He was busy, and then he got another ankle injury. He was then left exposed for the goal. He was kind of trying to mark two players and couldn't. And he then got subbed off, you know, before the hour, and it just felt a bit sad, really, for a player who I think there's a lot of goodwill to, you know, someone who came through the academy, and you know, that's you know a bit of a rarity. Um, yeah, it just feels a little bit like he's not really progressing all that much, and and there were fears when Mourinho took over that maybe he's not Mourinho's kind of player. Um, and yeah, you just—I think you just want to see more progress from individual players, you know. And that's something you know. You talk about Klopp Guardiola is that the individuals have been coached in such a way that they do make those improvements. And I just—I don't think you've already seen that from Winks. And you know, and then there's talk that you know City, United um, are interested in him, and he's saying or you know giving indications that he hasn't really been explained why he's become peripheral. So yeah, it just feels a bit of a shame for someone who there were such high hopes for. James, what do you think about Winks? Uh, on a personal level, I would be absolutely livid if they, they sacrificed him in in a short-term move to kind of bring someone like Matic or whoever into the side. That would be... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. That would be absolutely terrible if that were to happen. You know, this is a player who, even if you ignore the emotional stuff about him having come through the academy and being a local boy and a season ticket holder as a kid or whatever yeah. else, he is a guy who played more or less every match as Spurs got to the Champions League final last season. Yeah. I mean, I was really a good player, a very good player. I always think of that game at the Bernabeu where he, I think he was only 21 at the time, and it was absolutely amazing yeah, was in that ch- in that group game. Yeah. I think it was one all, and he, yeah, he absolutely bossed it. And you looked at that and you're like, wow, this guy is yeah. going to be really, really good. It wasn't until you know he he has played against all of the top sides in Europe, you know, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Juve, um, you know, City and Liverpool, obviously, yeah. and Bayern this season. And that Bayern game was the first time that I thought he looked overwhelmed and overrun. Yeah. That was the first time that he really looked exposed and, and like way off the pace. Yeah, that that's a really interesting point because he was excellent in all of those other Champions League games you just listed. Like he was so when Spurs beat City one nil in the quarterfinal first leg, that was I think Winks's last game before he his got injured, injury. Didn't he? Yeah. yeah, so he didn't play a game between that game and the final, and he was really really good that game. And he was that was actually like the last that was arguably one of the last good performances of the Pochettino era. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. That home game, the one 0 like the Spurs just overwhelmed City with their physicality and their intensity, and um, Wings was fantastic. And it says, you know, the fact that Pochettino brought him and Harry Kane back into the team after the two months of absence for the Champions League final in Madrid uh, speaks volumes of how much he rated him. And I do think that he gives you, 
Well, so it's kind of slightly different now because they've got Lacelso and, and Dombele. But last season, I thought he gave Spurs something that nobody else could do. And him, him and Sissoko had to do so much work through the first half of last season when there was basically nobody else to play in midfield, and they had to bear all that burden themselves. And I feel like, I just feel like it's quite, it's quite sad, or that at, right now I'm not sure what his, how he fits into this team. Yeah, it's difficult to, to see how he. Dombele and Lacelso would all fit into all right. fit into one team because you know, how how do you play in a system that has Dombele and Winks in it? Mm. I, I'm not really sure how because you, you, you need we think we've established you need like a proper defensive midfield player, yeah, whoever that is, and it's presumably going to be someone who comes from outside the club now. Yeah, I, so think- I, I, I don't know how you line that up with Dombele and Winks. You know, then does Lacelso then play further forward or is he not in the team? You know, he, he's not really a wide player, so you probably can't play him. You know, then where does Deli Ali play if you play that system? Yeah. Presumably Kane is still going to play. Now, how do you fit the rest of it together? I think I can only see the thing about Winks is he's ultimately like he's a possession player. Like he's fantastic at short passing, always on the move, great at like recycling possession and giving and going, and he kind of provides flow to the team when they have the ball. And we also know that he's actually not, he kind of struggles a little bit when the team doesn't have the ball. Like he's been caught out a few times defensively. Um, And that makes me think that the ideal, like if Spurs had a very possession oriented manager, then I think they would love Wings because you could play a 4 3 3 with Wings in the three. And he would help you. He would complete a hundred passes a game, and he would really, like, uh, yeah, he would he would be a big part of that kind of big possession network that he put together in the yeah. middle of the pitch. But with a manager who doesn't, who's like the most anti-possession manager in mod, in modern football, who's all about you know uh, shape and two big guys holding and long balls to the front man and and all that. It's like, why? Where does Winks fit in here? I don't. I, I can't quite see it. That is the worry, yeah. I mean, and he do- he doesn't really fit that profile. I mean, you look historically at Mourinho teams. Xabi Alonso is probably the closest, you know, a central midfielder like Winks. Obviously, I'm not saying they're at similar levels. Xabi Alonso is obviously, you know, one of the, the best central midfielders in, in Europe in recent times. But he generally played Xabi Alonso with another defensive midfielder. And that meant Xabi Alonso could kind of set the pace and wasn't having to worry too much about tackling and all of that sort of thing. So that that's the model, but it's just whether he really believes in Winks to that extent. As Charlie said, David Ornstein's column today says that both City and United would be interested in Winks if you're on the market. Um, and you can read Charlie's piece on Winks, David's column, and plenty more on theathletic.com. If you don't have, have a subscription, you can get 40% off with the promo code SPURSPOD. Go to theathletic.com forward slash SPURSPOD. While we're talking about transfers, this is a good chance for me to let you know about a brand new show here from The Athletic. Monday to Friday from today until the end of January. Hosted by Jackie Oatley, Adam Leventhal and Caroline Barker plus daily news and insight from The Athletic's team of writers, bringing you everything you need to know about all aspects of the January transfer window, including today's news of Manchester United's interest in Harry Winks. This Athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic, fill in a style quiz, and tell us about your personal style, budget, size, and shape, and your clothing needs and wants. A personal stylist will then send you five items of clothing, each handpicked especially for you from our selection of 100 brands, including established names, up-and-coming designers, and exclusive brands you won't find anywhere else. Try on everything at home and style with other items in your wardrobe. You can then pay for what you love and send back the rest. 
For your stylist time, you pay a charge of just £10, which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. Remember, you try before you buy at home, delivery and returns are free both ways, and you don't need a subscription to sign up. Stitch Fix allows you to save time, because we do the shopping for you, discover new styles, your stylist could find great items that you may never have picked out when shopping for yourself, and enjoy top styling tips. Our experts will give you ideas on how to wear the items they pick out for you. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X dot co dot uk forward slash athletic. Um, we also need to talk about Harry Kane, who got a hamstring injury in the Southampton game, presumably a victim of the relentless Christmas schedule. Uh, I think when you see players like... I mean, I think... I know Kane's had those ankle injuries before, but as far as I'm aware, he's never had a muscle injury. Yeah, I think this is his before. first muscle injury, or certainly yeah. his first muscle injury since he's been like a regular... Totally, in yeah. Team, yeah. In which he's played basically every game he's been fit for for the last like five and a half years, I'm not six really years. Sure, I'm not really sure whether that's good or bad. I mean, I, I, obviously you'd be very wor- worried if he had another ankle injury, but I, yeah. I'm not sure whether him now having like a hamstring thing that he may be kind of conscious of when he comes back as well. Yeah, it just, it just makes me think like, wow, you can really see why increasingly like the modern managers are so against the Christmas schedule because if if someone like Kane is getting... A ha- if someone like Kane who doesn't get these kind of injuries then gets that injury, you think, wow, like maybe, <laughs> maybe they are, the players are being overloaded. Um, what do we what do we think it means for Spurs in the sort of let's say two months before he comes back? I mean, Mourinho after the game yesterday was very down on the fact that you know Son and Mora can't play as centre forwards. I mean, I think Son has done really well as a central striker before. You know, and as as we said, lots of last season he really excelled there. I think he's eleven before yesterday he scored eleven and fifteen since the start of last season without Kane. So he clearly you know can excel in that role. I think you know off the back of one game. Mourinho writing that off obviously there's a vested interest to an extent there he might be looking to get another striker in um, but I but I don't think it's impossible you know Spurs have have played well before and there's this isn't this kind of school of thought that actually they're better in a way you know without Kane which obviously I don't subscribe to that view um, but I think Sun can can be effective for them um, it's just certain games and certainly away from home not having that focal point is uh does make life a lot harder for them. Yeah, I mean, you do wonder how how Sun up front uh, up front kind of fits in with what what Jack Wish was describing as Mourinho style of play. You know, yeah. hit the ball up to the front man and kind of get bodies around him. I just don't sit. You know, Sun but you have to adapt. He's, he's obviously superb on the ball, Sun, but he's not going to be a player who's going to kind of bring bring a ball out of the air and then hold off hold off two defenders and then knock it off to someone. That's just not going to be the yeah. way he's going to play. But I think that's up to the manager to adapt. You know, there are other ways of playing. And Son is very effective at getting in behind, especially if he's got other, you know, pacey wingers around him like Lucas Moore or someone like that. Do you, think, mean, do you think they could stick with Lucas and Lucas and Son, or do you think they have to go and? It's like why would you buying like buying us back yeah. buying a centre forward in January for basically two months worth of football? If that, I mean, this is the th- I was saying this uh, on Friday. You either think you need another striker, iris- or you don't, irrespective yeah. of the Kane injury, because realistically, most deals are done towards the end of the month, aren't they? Kane's probably going to be back in, let's say, mid-March. That's six weeks. That's not worth... You either think you need another strike or you don't. And, you know, they can cope probably for six weeks. I will be quite interested to see uh, how quickly he comes back because the thing with Kane has always been that he's come back Mm. very quickly. Yeah. I do wonder whether 
under a different manager that, that may work slightly differently and that maybe Mourinho would be a bit more patient or, or you know, reluctant to kind of fry him in at, at kind of 70% fitness. So I guess we'll have to see. Yeah, it will be really interesting to see how the rest of the team react as well. Like I remember, um, so I did a story about this about a year ago saying that uh, there was a feeling in the Spurs squad that when, when Kane gets injured, the rest of the Spurs team really raised their level because they're desperate to prove that they can do it without Kane and then sometimes when Kane comes back they all psychologically drop their level because they feel wow you know Harry's back he can sort it out he'll bail us out again and this kind of tallies with lots of the results and performances from last season where they actually as as you said at the, at the top of the show they actually won a lot of games when Kane was injured and then Kane came back and things started to tail off in a big way because um, his first game back was Burnley wasn't it when they lost and uh, Pochettino went crazy yeah, and, yeah. and that was kind yeah. of the the start of decline. The start that of a season. De- although he did then get injured again, and then they didn't like improve the second time when he came. When he came that's back true, to the yeah. final, obviously they were poor in the final. That's true, and um, yeah, I don't know whether I wonder whether that will still be the case. I also could agree with what you said, James, which is that like caneless Pochettino, like the way Pochettino played was more uh, suited to not having Kane than the way that Mourinho yeah. plays which is really badly suited I think to not having Kane I bet Mourinho's thinking right now god I wish we still had Llorente oh, yeah, if they still absolutely. had Llorente yeah, then yeah, it would yeah. all make sense well, but Llorente, without Llorente it's hard Llorente is about the, the best level that you're going to get of someone who is going to come in and just be happy to be an understudy because that's yeah. the problem when you've got a striker like Kane you know if you join you're, you're basically there it's like being a sub keeper and, and what really good striker is going to want to do that but Llorente is good but he's probably around the, the top level you're going to get unless you're signing someone who can play up front but can also play as a wide forward yeah. or a number 10 I think I think that's the only solution a player like that if you're going to bring in a player it's going to be someone who can play out wide that is also going to feasibly be able to get games when Kane is fit and in the team as well yeah exactly but even then you've got other options in the, in the current side that would then kind of have their noses put out of joint by this new player coming in. So you know, it's, it's complicated, isn't it? I, and it's been a problem for Spurs for uh, as long as Kane has been the first choice striker, really. Yeah. yeah. What do we? What? How bad do you think this is in terms? Because you know, the games he's going to miss. We're looking at Liverpool, City, and Chelsea in the league. FA Cup third round replay and fourth round. The first leg of the Leipzig game. Yeah, possibly depends, the second it leg. Depends on that cup draw because the the league. I think it almost. Uh, this is my opinion, but it's, it's pretty much a write off now. Really. Do you think? Really? I Even think, fourth? I, I just, yeah, I think so. Wow. Even fourth. <laughs> Blimey. Uh, I, yeah, I really. I I just don't think they'll ever they'll pick up the momentum or quickly enough. You know, it might be that they end up ending the season quite well, but I, I just don't see with the breadth of problems that that they've got at the moment that they'll suddenly go on a run from this point which is probably what you need to do to get into the top four I think this is about the time you need to kind of start hitting the mark maybe they'll pick it up by March I mean the one caveat to that I guess is that Chelsea I'm (laughs) still not really convinced by I mean no no it's all very well and good to get yourself up to to beat uh, Spurs and Arsenal but then if you drop points against Southampton and Brighton in between that then or either side of that I think it's last year Arts, Tottenham were basically bailed out by the fact that um, Arsenal and Manchester United were pretty poor in the league and that meant that they could even though they didn't pick up any points really in the second half of the season they still managed to scrape fourth now could we, is it asking too much to expect a repeat of that this year? Are the rivals going to be too good? Do you think Wolves Well I think it may almost work the other way around and it may work in Chelsea's favour this time around yeah. Chelsea not, not being particularly great but end up kind of you know, scrambling over the line just because purely because everybody else kind of fell away. I mean, because yeah, for for clubs like Spurs, you know, given all the problems they've had, for them to still to be in the top four race does also partly speak to the fact that Chelsea have been in a pretty ropey run since yeah. Mourinho took over. Like that 
that opportunity has presented itself. And and for a while, you know, it looked like they were going to take advantage. As we were saying before, you know, if they'd beaten Chelsea in that game, they would have gone forth. Completely. Um, also on January, uh, we might see the departure of Christian Eriksen. He quite surprisingly played yesterday. Um, but I, th- I wouldn't be surprised if he were to leave this month. Uh, I think it's kind of the view of quite a few Spurs players that he might go uh, sooner than expected. That is this January rather than waiting for them the Bosman transfer in the summer um, what do we think about this I mean yeah I, I think for him you know, certainly financially it makes sense to to wait to the summer to go He he's in the driving seat as it were I mean you know Jack you, you know you've had intel about him possibly joining Inter and that that feels a little bit I don't know uh, how, great mo- yeah. think, how great yeah. a move! Yeah, how great a move is they're that? They're top of the league, but I mean, I think only on goal difference. And my expectation would be they probably would end up not winning that, and that Juve would come back. But yeah, know, it just I- feels like a bit of a sideways move. Yeah, so I think I mean everybody knows that Real Madrid and Barcelona were the two clubs he wants to play for the most. But I don't think either of them really want him quite enough. Uh, there's talk the PSG going to come in with, with a big. Uh, you know, big Bosman offer. Yeah, apparently, yeah, apparently not in Jan, but yeah, for, for summer. Uh, but then he might not want to go and play in, in Ligue 1 because it's not a very competitive league. Um, and then Juve have been, you know, Juve have been linked with him for a while, but Juve have been very, very insistent in private that that they're not interested in him, even though they have watched him this season. Uh, so I think Inter kind of left as the last. Inter probably left as like the last big option that he's got, even though. You know, it feels a little bit like a step down in the sense that Spurs have been kind of competing at the top end of European football for the last few years, and Inter haven't haven't been. But I got told by some, you know, someone. I mean, it's been reported elsewhere, but I I got told by somebody who's very well placed on Saturday afternoon that Inter are in pole position for Ericsson, uh, whether that is in January or the summer. So I'd probably say it's more likely to happen than not, but not you know is not completed yet. I feel like the Inter will have more chance of getting him in January because I don't yeah. think anyone else is going to pay yeah. any yeah. sort I mean, of fee I think for that's him. It, isn't it? If he ends up, you know, being a free agent basically exactly. at the end of the season, then if you're, you know, because or, the, or from the first of February, say when that's when that's the only option, then you know, if you're Real Madrid or Juventus have signed so many players on free transfers in the last couple of years, you know, we saw it with Ramsey last season. Chan, yeah, Chan exactly as well. They've, they've done quite well to pick those players up. That's kind of how they've. That's been their model, yeah, really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, so I, th- I think you're right. I think it is once it becomes a fair now, fight. Then yeah. in the summer, every, lots of teams will look at him and think, "Well, if we don't have to pay the because if he went to Inter, it'd be like twenty, twenty-five million fee. If they don't have to pay the fee, they think, "Wow, well, if we don't have to pay a fee, then maybe it's worth taking a punt. And then even if it does cost us a bit more in commission and salary, and all the rest, um, we've got to quickly look at the Liverpool game before we wrap up. Uh, that's that at White Hart Lane on Saturday. Can we evening. not? Can we just not talk about? Am it? I? Am I right in being incredibly pessimistic about Spurs' prospects for this game? <laughs> well, You're I, certainly I, I, not alone in I, being incredibly. I've weirdly got a hunch they might they might get a draw from this, but it's just a hunch. It's not as I said, it's not based on any uh, evidence really, because obviously all evidence points towards a Liverpool win. But I don't know. I think um, they they might produce a kind of defiant display and frustrate Liverpool. I mean, it goes without saying they're going to have to defend quite a lot better than they've defended against, say, Middlesbrough and Norwich in the last couple of, and Southampton in the last two or three games. Without, I mean, actually, this is the kind of game where not having Kane and playing a slightly more defensive system and and kind of playing on the counter attack and whatever else may actually work slightly better. So, I don't, I don't think this is the kind of game we'd really worry. I mean, you want Kane to be there, but it's not. Yeah. I don't think this is the game where he, it's quite as decisive. If you see what I mean. I mean, Mourinho was so good at frustrating Liverpool when he was at United, and yeah. obviously Liverpool have 
you know, a different team from what they were then. But, you know, if ever there was a time for Mourinho to show that he's still got it, he's still got that ability to organise a defence and frustrate uh, a side like Liverpool, then this is this is it for him. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure he will play... There's kind of no reason for him to play anything other than an incredibly defensive, cautious game, as in very um, low block, so to speak, uh, giving away the ball, basically, letting letting Liverpool have the ball, knowing that the last thing they want to do is try and build up from the back and then have a player turn into trouble, Liverpool steal it and break against them. So I think we'll see a very, very... Um, I think they'll be happy for Liverpool to have as much of the possession as possible. They'll sit deep. They'll try. You know, you know, if they've got Lucas and Son, then they've got pace in the break, and maybe they'll feel that they can get in behind Alexander Arnold or get in behind Robertson and Nick one on the break. You know, I'm sure like the idea in his head looks a little bit like uh, the Gerard Slip game, for example, mm. from 2014. Or um, that's probably the best example, but there's been plenty of others like into, of into Barca 2010. Yeah, that kind I of mean, cap- a bunch of nil-nils that uh, United got at Anfield and yeah. they just went and sat there and frustrated them. But I mean, how, how accepting, James, do you think the Spurs fans will be of, of, of that sort of approach? Well, I mean, I, it felt a bit like that's how he was trying to set up against Chelsea before Christmas, that it was a slightly more cautious yeah. performance than maybe you would have seen under Pochettino where it would have been a bit more sort of harem scarum. Um, and the crowd that afternoon uh, you know, did get quite frustrated with the way they started the game. Obviously, they ended up conceding a goal quite early in the game yeah. um, and never really looked like getting back into it I mean obviously against Liverpool there's, there's so much there's so many levels above Chelsea that that it would be a slightly different proposition to do that against them um, yeah I, I don't think that would go down particularly badly um, I've, you know, I think a point against Liverpool given the form they've been over the last you know, even 18 months would be would be a bit of a bonus probably yeah and even though like, I remember the, the nil-nils between Klopp's Liverpool and Mourinho's Manchester United, but unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, Liverpool are just so good now. They're so much better that I think they can't, I think they might be impossible to stop. Like I watched the um, you know like the Leicester game over Christmas. They that was like that was the best. I mean, look, I, I don't you know obviously looking at this through the narrow prism of the games I've watched, but through that prism, that was the best Premier League performance I've seen since probably one of the best pep performances from a year or two ago uh in terms of just like the completeness of their domination and their the way that it was kind of impossible for a very very good team playing at home to lay a finger on them and then they played a game against Sheffield United a few days later that was also on TV in which uh again their control of the game was absolutely complete and it just made me think that even if even if Mourinho's Spurs go in on Saturday evening with like a really good plan and they've had you know one of their famous training weeks this week to work on it and everybody's in the right place and you know they've got they know all of Liverpool's weaknesses and they're primed to exploit them I just don't think they'll be able to do it I just think Liverpool is so good I, I don't really see that they've got a weakness because it's not like you know they're, they're a fast nippy team who move the ball really well but actually if you kind of Give yeah. them a Get bit of a them. kick, or yeah. you, you know, you have big physical centre backs that you can kind of stop them. Yeah, because yeah. they're they're physically big and strong as well. Yeah, Liverpool will dominate. Liverpool will dominate you physically in midfield. Their front three are all quicker and stronger than Tottenham's defence. Yeah, I think. Uh, I can't see like how you know. I mean, I think do- they have got injuries in midfield, haven't they? Because Milner went oh, off yeah, yesterday. Yeah, that's true. out. Uh, Oxlade Chamberlain has just come back. Yeah, it's one out of them out as well, maybe. Uh, I'm not sure about that. Fabinho definitely is. 
So, I mean, that, you know, that is the one thing. But then, you know, you're talking about the, the mid battle in the centre of midfield, which, is, as we've established, is probably not, <laughs> it's probably not Spurs' strength right now. Yeah, so I just can't see, like, the comp- you know, Mane, Firmino, Salah, Alexander-Arnold. These guys are, like, impossible to stop at the moment. And They're all yeah, such all-rounders. Yeah, I just think they, I, I think they will win quite comfortably. Do you think it will be a, uh, you know what I'm thinking of? Well, the f- we've had uh, we've had the equivalent of that 5-0 this season already I can't think which game it was um, it, oh, Bayern it was the Bayern game, game yeah, yeah. basically everything just went wrong so this is sorry listeners that's the uh, December the 2013 one. last game of AVB when Brendan Rodgers Liverpool won 5-0 and ended AVB's Tottenham tenure John Flanagan scored I believe John F- yeah, yeah and Suarez so. did you get a hat trick or two uh, and he was like he, he had one amazing. of his unplayable yeah. so days good. Sterling was really good and that was the day that I decided Raheem Sterling was probably better than Aaron Lennon just so you know <laughs> well yeah, a milestone day it really was uh, cool I think that's pretty much all we've got time for on this week's edition thank you very much for listening uh, thank you to James and Charlie thank you producer Teo thank you Soho Radio for having us and we'll be back again next week where we will pick over Saturday's game and see how Tottenham got on against Liverpool thanks very much bye Thank you.